Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Man, it's beautiful to gather together in this beautiful, beautiful weather. Um, I was wondering if I needed to put on some sunscreen in order to prevent any sunburn on the side of my head. You, too, might need some sunscreen as a possibility. I think Fred's walking around with some sunscreen. Um, hey, just on, on, a, on, a, on a different note, Dave Broom uh, is currently in the hospital. We're praying for him and his recovery, and uh, he leads our older adults, a man that I deeply love, I'm deeply encouraged by, and so we're just praying for, uh, for his recovery. So if, uh, if he is on your mind. Um, and we are still in the process of our auditorium refresh. And so September 5th is our goal to be back in our space. Next Sunday, though, we're talking about the intimacy we crave. And so there will be kids ministry provided because the content might not be most suitable. And so if you want to have your kids um, join you here, there will be kids ministry available. Um, so, so if you're new around here or you, you've been joining us recently, I think you picked a great time because we've been in this summer series. And, and I love you guys sitting in the back. I understand the back are the most expensive seats. No one sits up here in the front. I do understand this. Uh, so we've been in this in series called Together We Believe, where we've just been evaluating and wrestling with our deep convictions. And so if you're new around here, we think this is a great time to jump in and, and sit with us as we talk about the core of what we anchor our lives in. But not only these truths we believe, but also understanding there's a gap between these truths and what we experience as real. You guys ever been to Yellowstone? So I talked about Yellowstone recently because I, I, I know these people that take selfies in front of elks and buffalo, right? And, and you go, man, how cool is that? And yet if they understood what these animals could do to them, there's this gap that exists between what they believe to be true and what they're experiencing as real. And so our hope around here is, is we don't want something from you, but instead we want something for you. We want you to experience more of who this Jesus is. And... Um, and we don't want to be second-handers. So much like this coffee, I brewed this coffee this morning. It's from Bulletproof Coffee, if that means anything. It's the mentalist brew, medium roast. And I could taste this coffee. And I could tell you how delicious this coffee is, right? How much more, though? to not stay a second-hander and hear how much I love this coffee, but to actually experience the joy of this coffee for yourself. And you could be sitting there going, David, I don't like coffee anyway. Don't ruin the illustration. <laughs> Every week, week in, week out, we just want to sit under the text and hear from God as first-handers what he has revealed through his word. And so today, we are entering into this, this view of the future we anticipate. And... and and if you're like me, you might be feeling some of the tension that exists all around our world. That there's, <laughs> there's this COVID thing going on, and there's a response various people are taking in a variety of directions. Uh, there's been some tensions. Portland riots, Capitol riots. There's been this racial tension. There's challenges, what we feel in the school districts. Uh, you heard from Afghanistan there's a, there's a military coup happening in Myanmar right now as well. I mean, there's hurt and pain going on. What would tempt a follower of Jesus to stop following him? Difficult circumstances. 
And so Paul knows this. He knows that difficult circumstances could cloud our ability to see and interact with the world around us. And so in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to press into Paul revealing a paradigm for us on how we can find hope in the midst of whatever circumstances might be going on. And it is tied to the future we anticipate. So I'm going to read, as we've been going through this, we're always starting with a doctrinal statement. So I'm going to read our doctrinal statement that we are anchoring ourselves to. And then I will pray for us as we jump into the text together. But here is where we're headed this morning. That we believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ at a time known only to God. And it demands constant expectancy And as our blessed hope motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. God commands everyone everywhere to believe the gospel by turning to him in repentance and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that God will raise the dead bodily and judge the world, assigning the unbeliever to condemnation and eternal conscious punishment. And the believer to eternal blessedness and joy with the Lord in a new heaven and a new earth to his praise and his glorious grace. Amen. So what would tempt the follower of Jesus to stop following him? I think difficult circumstances. And so Paul this morning, as we dig into 1 Thessalonians, is going to press us in where we're finding our hope by tying us to the future we anticipate. So pray with me as we dig in this morning. God, you are always so good. Help us see you through your word this morning. Thank you for for the privilege of revealing yourself and hearing from you through your word that you provided that opportunity for us. And help us in the midst of all the circumstances going on to continue to tie ourselves to this future we anticipate. Always for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So open up either in your bulletin or in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4. Here we go. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, therefore what? We understand, right? We understand. just, Just try and commit to anything for any period of time. We lose steam. What does he say that ought to motivate us to continue in this journey in the midst of the circumstances? Encourage yourself with these words. So we want to evaluate these words that Paul is saying we ought to encourage ourselves with. So first point, we're going to stay fairly simple today. God wins. Read verse 13 with me. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no Hope. So I need two people, two adults to come help me. Don't rush up here all at once. I do understand. Come on up. Two adults, and not Jeff, because Jeff, you helped last time. And so 
two adults other than Jeff or Bob, because Jeff and Bob have both been very helpful. Ryan, thank you, Ryan, and Gary. Oh, Jason. Jason, you're in my heart. Thank you. So I need you to hold this on this side. And Gary, could you hold this on this side? Can we just turn around and see your shirt real quick, though? Are we Star Wars fans, or is that not allowed? Is that? Could you hold this for me? Some love. Could you go a little bit further to your right? And just a little bit further to your right. And a little bit further to your... Um, could you go a little bit further to your left? So what does he say in verse 13? Brothers, we do not want you to be uninformed and grieve like those who have no hope. What's he saying? He's saying there's supposed to be something about our lives and our emotions that when we hear God wins, that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. So on one side, I just want to write this idea. Can you hold it up? Let's see. I comes before E, except after C. Is that right? So grief. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. When you experience these circumstances going on, is there any pain going on in your life? Are you, man, when dad says no ice cream after dinner, you're like, come on, dad, what's the deal? You feeling the pain in some of these circumstances? Man, I know I am. What's happening in Afghanistan, what's happening in Myanmar, what's happening in my own environment and some of my circumstances in my life, right? There is grief attached to that. So what does he mean then that we should grieve not without hope? What's that mean? Don't grieve like those without hope. What's he saying about the way we grieve? And we might want to see your face too. Do you guys know Ryan? What does it mean to grieve with hope? He's describing something about how our experience should be as we interact with the circumstances around us. That if we are convinced God wins, there's a hope that buoys our life, though it's still connected to a, a component of sadness. What would it look like to grieve without hope? What do you call that? We're going to call it despair. That in my life, he says, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed and grieve like those without hope. I think he's giving us a grid for how we ought to experience the circumstances because I could be over here and say I'm grieving and say I have this hope, but what is my life characterized by? Does it seem actually it's absent of any hope? Or potentially, I'm grieving, but I'm not really all that sad. I'm kind of oblivious to the challenges, and so there's no real grief. What it feels like sometimes in my life, when I lose sight of this hope, it turns into something else. The circumstances are still happening, but I've lost sight of what he's saying in verse 13, and I begin to drift into this component of despair. So thank you, Gary. Thank you, Ryan. You guys are just going to stand up here for the next 20 minutes or so. No, I'm just kidding. We'll put that down. Thank you. Here's a cup. Here's a tumbler for your, and there's a tumbler for you. Thank you, Ryan. Give him a hand.
Because he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, and grieve like those who have no hope. Is he saying we shouldn't be sad? That we shouldn't look around the circumstances? Nobody's guarding our heart from drifting into this place of despair. If we truly believe there is a God who wins and returns, our heart reveals where we fall on this spectrum. So God wins, and we can gauge the degree we believe that by how much grief we have tied to hope or whether our heart turns into despair. Now, the second point I want to go into, because we're currently saying we don't want the doors to Hillcrest to be narrower than the doors to heaven. This particular doctrine is one of the doctrines we're saying we, we think there's faithful people on all sides of this doctrine. And so I want to read this part we're going to read to verse 17, and then we're going to unpack 17 together. But here's our conviction. God wins, and so we grieve like those with hope. And we're convinced we don't exactly know how it's going to happen, but Christ returns. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, you guys ready for this part? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is just crazy stuff, right? I mean, you want to watch a sci-fi movie or do you want to read the text? Look at this stuff. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So here's what we don't want to lose sight of, right? There's a conviction. Christ returns, and we will be with him forever. Now, now, I don't know how familiar you are with some of this language, but I would say there's two predominant views of what this text is referring to. Is this referring to the Lord himself will descend, and then we who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds? And there's going to be a time when those who are on this earth that are treasuring Jesus will leave for a period of time called the tribulation when things get really nuts. Some are even asking, are we in the end times now? For seven years, it's going to get brutal. The question is, is he referring to followers of Jesus being there during that time? Or is he referring to this happening after that's seven years of tribulation, and it's referring to Jesus coming back for a second time. So, and, and I'll, I'll share my perspective, and, and this is where I go, people on all sides of the issue. If you hold a pre-tribulational view, here's, here's what I want to say. So I hope you're right. I hope you're right. If that's the case... Will I be shocked? I'll be really thankful if that's the situation of how it works and we don't have to deal with this stuff. I would love that. But what it feels like when I read the text, God doesn't pull his people out of trouble. Instead, he helps them see their way through. When are we tempted 
to stop following Jesus? Paul knows, Jesus knows. It's in difficult circumstances. And so he's trying to give us hope. So I'm going to share a post-tribulational view, but I hope we see, man, Jesus returns and we reign with him forever. But let's walk through it. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. What's that referring to? If you turn over to Revelation 3.10, being caught up, Revelation 3.10. You guys with me? Are you still with me? (laughs) We're still here. Revelation 3.10. You guys, if you're like, man, David, we don't want to talk about theology. You can shut me off for about eight to ten minutes here. Revelation 8, Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. So usually, 1 Thessalonians and Revelation are both tied to God removing his people. I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial. Or another way to see that very text, I will keep keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. What does God promise for those that follow him? Not often to remove them from hard times, but to actually see them through. That there is a confidence and anchor to our lives that God will see us through no matter the circumstance, those who are faithful to him. But you go, but what about God's wrath? I mean, that feels pretty intense. Like he's not going to pour his wrath on me, is he? Go to 1 Peter, we were just in it, chapter 4. So by keep, what does he mean? Is he going to pull us out or is he going to see us through? I think both are valid interpretations. But but does he say he's never going to pour judgment? God would never pour judgment Peter says this in chapter 4, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin, where? At the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly sinner? Therefore, let those of us who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. What's he say? Not that I'm going to pull you out of the circumstances, but the very same circumstances have different intents, those who are following Jesus and those who don't. Those that are following Jesus are experiencing the same thing with a different meaning. Instead, there's a purifying intent rather than a punitive and judgment of wrath. And we're going back one more to 1 Thessalonians. We're going back and forth here. Hope you're staying, uh, staying on it. He says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds. When's that happening? Is it being pulled out or is it at Jesus' second coming? And then he says, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. You could go, David, meet sure sounds like we're going to him and we're going to stay there, right? When I meet someone, I stay there. Or... 
does the word meet have different intent? Turn to Matthew 25. Stinking love this stuff. Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a parable and uses the same language about meeting that is said here in 1 Thessalonians. And what we're wrestling with is, so Jesus returns, right? We're convinced of that. But broadly speaking, we don't want to make the doors to Hillcrest narrow than the doors to heaven. Can we potentially have varying opinion and positions on this particular doctrinal issue? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. They went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And the bridegroom was delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom. What do they do? Come out to meet him. Do they stay with him outside? They come out to meet him. Then what does he say? So they come out to meet him. And then, and while they were, where is it? And then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers, dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready, what? Went in with him. What does First Thessalonians say? 1 Thessalonians 4 says, this beautiful picture, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord at his second coming. After having gone through the tribulation and sustained in the midst of challenges and held tight and then ushered with him as he arrived back on this earth at his second coming. Jesus returns. So, I don't know if I convinced you of a, a post-trib view, but I hope here's what we said. We don't want the doors to Hillcrest to be narrower than the doors to heaven. And what often happens in this, particular, in this particular area, we spend a lot more time fighting about the disagreements rather than encouraging each other daily that Jesus is returning. That that becomes our preeminent focus. And so, God wins Jesus returns. What do you think the next step is? This is the audience participation point of the sermon. What comes next? Man, get busy. Often what it feels like is we start accumulating knowledge as the next step. And to learn more. Hear me say, I love thinking. I think thinking drives the train. But what would it look like for us to actually believe God wins? Grief with hope, not despair. And believe that Jesus returns. How exactly is that going to happen? We encourage each other daily with the reality that it is going to happen. And so what do we do? There's a role we get to play. We get busy. Last week, we talked about the church. 
This whole series has been a unity of us clarifying what we believe. Last week, we talked about the joy of being in fellowship with the church. And then there is an empowerment from the Spirit to be witnesses. What's a witness? Someone who simply shares their experience, who has an experience. They're not a second-hander. <laughs> They're not a second-hander. They have an experience, and they just want to share that experience with everyone they come in contact with. So... So here's, here's what I hope we mean by get busy. Get busy, relaxing. Not relaxing like consumers where you just prop your feet up in front of the TV and just kick back, but relax believing there is a God who's working through us. We relax with a great freedom that is not ultimately on me to seal the deal in someone's life. Instead, believing the Spirit is drawing them to himself and we get to be a part of that process. So get busy, relaxing, feeling the freedom to say it's not ultimately on me, and then get busy assessing. Assess your view of what it means to witness. Is it only in this category of I have to say these certain words, or is it broadening it up to say my life is a witness to the story of transformation in my life? In the way I work, do you work as unto the Lord? That when people look at you, your work matters. The way you work your marriage, in the way you interact with other couples, what is your marriage saying? Are you grieving with hope some of the areas that still need to be worked on in your own marriage? Or are you despairing that it's just never going to get any better and I just got to suck it up and there's no hope for anything? Or do we actually grieve with the desire that there is no pain, no tears? And then... I hope these next three are familiar. We get busy what? Praying. That we actually have people. Do you guys know people in your life that don't treasure Jesus? I would imagine the answer is yes. What does it look like to actually make a list and get busy praying? To pray for those on your pray watch step list to actually make a list to say god you're at work in these people's lives i want you to bring healing to their marriage i want you to bring healing to their work i want you to bring healing to their health to pray and get busy praying and then get busy watching one of those people on your prayer list what would it look like this week to actually to act like hypothetically you actually reach out to them and check in based upon the things you're praying for what would it look like to get busy watching for his work all around us? And then what would it look like to get busy stepping into those conversations? Believing that without Jesus, people aren't happy. And that without Jesus, people can't be happy. What if we stepped into those conversations believing that without Jesus, people are not happy? They're hurting with loneliness or pain, whatever might be overwhelming them. The difficult circumstances, where do they find themselves? They're grieving with no hope. They're despairing. What would it look like to actually enter into those moments as people grieving the hurt that exists all around us and grieve as those with hope? Step into a conversation this week. And so here's my hope. 
We're going to take one last look at ourselves. One last look. And I just want to ask this question. Do you eagerly await the coming of Jesus? And I don't mean the doctrine, right? I don't mean like the charts and the graphs and and I'm eagerly awaiting. Do you eagerly await the coming of Jesus? And so, it was our 12th anniversary on, on, uh, on Saturday. Man, I'm getting old, guys. 12 years married. And, and, and not that I'm constantly, because I, 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 I want to make the distinction. I'm not thinking about Casey 24-7, right? But when I think about her, what are the ideas that come to my mind? When you think about the second coming, is it filled with fear and irritation about the unknown? Is it feared with boredom with the idea of, you mean I got to do this singing and worship thing for eternity? Or is it filled with this unexpressible hope and delight for no more tears, no more pain of being united with Jesus for eternity? So does your mind return frequently to the truth of Christ's appearing? And when your mind turns to the truth of his appearing, does your heart want it? And is there this appropriate eagerness in anticipation to see his return? And then do you pray for his coming with anticipation? Come, Lord Jesus, in the midst of the circumstances. Do you anticipate his coming? Pray with me. God, you're so good. We long for your presence because we see the pain, the hurt around us. Paul encourages us, encourage each other all the day long with this eternal hope as it gives perspective for the circumstances of our life. Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.